Well, hey, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Hey, it's good to be with you. Do me a favor. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians 6. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, the first nine verses this morning. And uh, I would just ask at the start for a little bit of grace. Um, I'm a little bit under the weather. I have a head cold thing. So if I need to get a drink of water or if my voice sounds weird, it's that. I promise I'm not going through puberty again. You don't have to worry. But I'm um, really grateful to be here with all of you. And um, today is actually going to look a bit different. We're, we're going to change things up a little bit. And uh, we've been working through uh, the book of Ephesians uh, verse by verse. And in these nine verses, Paul's going to hit on two specific things. In verses one through four, he's going to talk about the parent-child relationship. And then in verses uh, five through nine, he's going to talk about submission in the area of work. And, and what I'm going to do is, is I'm actually going to start with verse five, and we're going to hit submission in work in about 90 seconds. That's all I want to spend on, on those verses. And part of the reason is, is we've hit on the issue of submission to authority a lot in the last couple years. And even when I say the word submission, some of you are thinking, oh, please not that again. So I hear you. That's, that's fair. Um, but what I, I do want to do, and the reason I want to focus on the first four verses, is that when I meet with people, so often there is conflict um, with uh, uh, adults and, and adult parents. And it's like, how do I honor them? How do I respect them regardless of the brokenness in my parents' life or in their past? How do I honor? When do I obey? When do I have to listen? When can I do my own thing? There's so much confusion and pain in family relationships that I, I really want to dive in and see what God's Word has to say regarding obedience and honoring our parents. And so if I do my job well today, um, I want to be clarifying I want to be helpful, and I want to be convicting. I'm going to say some hard things this morning, if that's okay with you. But in saying them, it's not to wound or to condemn, but it's to open our eyes to what maturity in Christ looks like, both as parents and as children of parents. So do me a favor. If you're ready to jump into God's Word, can I just hear you say, I'm ready? ready. All right, that sounds good. Let's look at verse 5. Here's what it says. It says, bond servants... Obey your earthly masters with fear and with trembling, and with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not in the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free." And masters do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing it is, that it is he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. All right, so there's one principle I want to lay out from these five verses. It's this, work under the reality of Jesus' authority. Work under the reality that Jesus is on the throne and that he's ultimately your master. And very, very simply, the way I can say this, um, your boss is not your boss. Jesus is your boss. So whether your boss is great or if he's awful, we are still called to work as unto the Lord, to give our best, to work with a good attitude, to give all we have because we are working to honor and serve a master who is in heaven and worthy of everything we have. Amen? Super simple. And then if you are the boss, um, remember, you're not actually the boss. Jesus is. And whether you work for yourself, in how you treat the people underneath you or that you interact with, know that you are working to serve a master who is in heaven and you never get to the point where you are free from accountability. Very, very simple. You see, I told you that would be quick, huh? All right, now let's jump to verse 1. 
says this. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you uh, and that you may live long in the land. And fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction in the Lord. So we're talking about obedience. We're talking about honor. We're talking about not provoking your children to anger. This is kind of the foundational parenting passage in all of scripture. And what's interesting is um, 10 years ago, I don't know if I would have felt comfortable to preach this passage. This would have been a passage I probably would have said, hey, dad, you take it and let's switch weeks. I'll preach on something else. And here's why, because 10 years ago, I didn't know what I was doing when it came to parenting. I had twin one-year-olds. We were just trying to survive and we were still new to the marriage thing. And it's just interesting what 10 years, what a difference it makes. Now I have a twin fifth graders and a third grader and a first grader. Like I am crushing elementary school right now, right? It's my whole life. And the other thing is, is I have um, 10 years of leading and serving in junior high and high school uh, ministry. So I know everything there is to know about high schoolers, right? Dude, every time I say that, people laugh at me. I don't understand it. I think I'm completely prepared and the authority on all of this. So with that being said, let's dive in. Um, Look at verse one again. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Okay, the first thing we need to understand about obedience is it's for children. Paul is speaking to young kids who are still living with their parents and under their roof and dependent on them for food and clothing and life. This is kids who are still living with their folks. So in our context, I think a very easy uh, way to think about it is probably through high school. Although I do think there is a principle that if you're in your 20s and if you're still living with their folks, their house, their rules. This is for people who are not yet independent from their parents. It's very, very simple. This is for children. What is obedience? It's also simple. Do what you're told and with a good attitude. Obedience is to do what your parents tell you to and to do it with a good attitude. He's saying, children, it's your job to obey your parents. Do it respectfully, do it with a good attitude, and anything outside of that is sinful disobedience, even if your parents' rules aren't necessarily a sin issue. All right? Like if your parents set a 10 o'clock curfew, is there anything inherently wrong with 1015? Is there anything inherently sinful about 1015? No, not in itself. But for you to be out to 1015 is a sin. It's disobedience to your parents. They set the rules. Your job is to follow them. It's funny, when I was in high school, uh, when I was the high school pastor here, we would always do kind of right around Valentine's Day, a three-week dating and relationship series. And the last week was always a Q&A. The kids could write questions. We would answer them. And I would always get the same question. And the question was, Pastor Cal, is it wrong to date? And I knew what was happening. There was some student whose folks said that they're not allowed to date and they're trying to weaponize me. Right? They want to be able to go home and say, well, mom, Pastor Cal says it's okay to date, so why can't I? Like, and I'm like, man, if I don't answer this carefully, my next week is going to be awful. I'm going to have angry parents and emails and all of that. So guess what I would say? I would be like, dating is not inherently wrong unless your parents say you can't. The first rule is do what your parents have asked you to do, follow their rules. It's not a sin issue dating, but if your folks say don't date or don't date till this age, it's your job to obey. Um, 
this might date me a little bit, but when I was um, in junior high and high school in like the late 90s, early 2000s, um, there was this fad that was sweeping the nation, and it was guys getting a gold hoop earrings. Do you guys remember this? Anyone remember that? That, that fad? It was like a big deal. All right, here's a question. Can we be bold? Anyone um, uh, in here have the, the hoop earring in the late 90s, early 2000s? I see you. I'm looking at my brother-in-law right there. I know it because I remember him wearing it. Well, my mom hated that fad. And she would openly mock people when she saw it. Like, friends would come over to their house, they'd have a hoop earring, and she'd be like, oh, you're training to be a pirate, huh? <laughs> like, she hated it. And my mom pulled me aside one day, and she's like, Cal, there's a very simple rule in our house. I'm like, what's that? She goes, if you come home with a hoop earring, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and I believed her, like she would have. And the reason I'm here today is because I obeyed my parents. Her rules, her house, her way. The only time... The only time it would be okay for you to not obey your parents is if they were openly asking you to sin. And I just want to say this. I've been doing high school ministry or involved in high school ministry for a long time um, with thousands and thousands of students. Only one time has that been the case. Like 99.99% of the time, your job is really easy. Obey your parents. The third thing about obedience, though, is this, is that it's the foundation of a successful life. It's the foundation of a successful life. Church, look at me. Just because this is simple doesn't mean that it's not wildly important. In fact, I would argue that the number one factor in determining whether someone will live a happy and successful life is can they obey their parents? Can they get this right? Like, think about it with me, right? The parents are the child's first authority. And I've had kids in youth group where they come in and from the second you see them, you're like, they're going to be trouble. And they're not going to listen to anything I say and they won't listen to anyone and they will do whatever they want. And what happens is I watch as their lives play out. Guess what happens? They get kicked out of school. They get kicked off of sports teams. They get in trouble with the law. They keep getting fired from their jobs. And it always started back in the home where the parents are like, they won't listen to anything I say. And if they rebel against their first authority, the truth is, church, we all live under authority. We live under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. We live under the laws of this country. We live under our bosses. We live under well, whatever that authority is. If we don't get it right early, it's setting you up for a life of pain. And, and parents, here's why I tell you this. It's because some of you are looking at me like, Cal, you don't understand my kid. That, came out, that kid came out of the womb defiant, and they won't listen. And what I'm telling you is, is it's worth it to keep hanging in there and keep fighting. You have to win this battle or kids that don't respect authority tend to live very, very painful lives. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'll have um, often someone come to me and, and they've just started dating someone. I'll, I'll have a young girl in our church come and be like, hey, here's my new boyfriend. He's really sweet. He's really cute. I, I'm trying to figure out if he's the one. Do you have any advice for me? And the best advice I give, the best advice I could have for you is, is if you want to know if someone's marriage material, look at how they treat their mom and sisters, right? Those are the women in their life that they're closest with. And if they are rude and if they intimidate and if they don't listen and if they ignore, why would you think that that's not coming for you down the line? But if they're respectful and kind and honor and love, then you can have some level of confidence that they're going to treat you the same way. How you treat your parents sets the trajectory for your life. It's massively important. All right, look at verse 2. 
It says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so here's what you need to understand. Honor is different than obey. Obedience is for children. Honor is for everyone. This applies to all of us. And here's how I know that. Because this commandment is given in the Ten Commandments, which is God's moral law that applies to all people at all times. There's no out clause. There's no qualifiers. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. These things apply to everyone always. And honor your father and mother is a commandment. Do me a favor. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're called to honor your parents. All right, so now we need to talk about what honoring your parents looks like because this is where it gets really, really tricky. What does this mean? Well, can we do this? Can we start by what it doesn't mean? Um, it doesn't mean that you have to do everything they tell you. That's not what honoring your parents means. It doesn't mean that you have to have a close relationship with them. There's some of you in here that because of decisions or choices that your parents have made, it wouldn't be safe or healthy for you to be closely engaged with your parents. It wouldn't be safe for your kids to expose them to grandma and grandpa. There's brokenness there that's the result of decisions they've made. It doesn't mean you have to do things the same way your parents did. It doesn't mean that they get to set the agenda for how you live your life or spend your time. When I would do premarital counseling, one of the questions I'd always ask the young couples would be like, hey, have you talked about the holidays yet? And they'd be like, no, we haven't thought about that at all. And I'm like, you're going to want to. Because what's going to happen is this Christmas is going to roll around and Mama A is going to have a plan and Mama B is going to have a plan and they're going to do things their way. And if you don't do what they want, it's going to be a cause of a lot of conflict. They don't get to set the agenda. You guys need to set the agenda. You need to come up with a plan. You're a new family. Okay, so what does it mean if it doesn't mean those things? And I stole this from Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York and way smarter than I am. He says it this way. I think he says it best. Honoring your parents is a decision to treat your parents with dignity and courtesy and long-term loyalty to their best interests. To treat your parents with dignity and courtesy with a long-term loyalty to their best interests. It's saying we're going to treat them with kindness, with dignity, what's best for them, regardless of whether or not they deserve it. So what I want to do is I want to get really, really practical here and talk about three ways all of us can honor our parents well right now. Here's the first way. Um, do whatever is in your power to show kindness and deference to your parents. Do whatever you can to lean into kindness and to defer to your parents if it's in your power to do it. So, so let me explain what that looks like. Um, some of you may know um, my mother-in-law, her name is Lori Moeller. And I would say that I have absolutely won the mother-in-law jackpot. She's an amazing woman. Her relationship with Mary is awesome. She loves us. She loves our kids. She is just such an amazing, godly, faithful woman. But here's what you need to know about Lori. That woman loves herself a family photo. Like, she loves taking family pictures a lot. So, so here's what that means. Every Thanksgiving we get together, every Christmas, every 4th of July, every President's Day, every third Tuesday, whenever it is, it's like, hey, can we all gather together and take a family picture? Well, with all of the siblings and all of our kids now, it's like, like rambling together a crew of like 35 people. So guess what we do? 
right? All of the in-laws call each other and make sure we're wearing outfits that don't clash. And we get the camera and we, you know, herd all of the kids and we deal with 25 minutes of taking a million pictures and retaking pictures and crying and all of that stuff. Why? Not because we love family pictures. I can promise you that. Like, I've never once woken up and been like, man, I'm so looking forward to family picture day. <laughs> Why do we do it? We do it because we love Lori. And she's my mother-in-law, and I want to honor her, so I'm going to defer to her because I know that that's a blessing to her. It's a way that we honor her request. Some of you grew up in a home that didn't drink alcohol. It was a dry house. And as you got older, you made the choice to drink. Here's a really, really practical way to honor your parents. Don't drink in front of them. Don't rub the differences that you've made as an adult or as a family in the face of your parents. Do whatever you can to lean with kindness and deference. Listen, even if the relationship is tense or broken, to honor means we move with kindness when at all possible. Here's the second way we can honor our folks. It's this. We can live in a way that reflects well on them. We can live in a way that reflects well on them. And it was interesting, as we were in worship, I, I was thinking through the message, and I was thinking of the guy who plays electric guitar, Nate Timmer. And um, here's the thing, Nate's a young guy in his 20s, and um, I've never met his folks. I couldn't pick his folks out in a lineup. I, I have no context to what Nate's childhood was like, but here's what I, I know. Um, because I know who he is, and I know his character, and his love for the Lord, and his heart to serve, and his genuineness, um, he reflects well on his parents. Like, not knowing them, I can assume that they raised him right, that they loved the Lord, and that, that they did a good job with him because of the person he's turned out to be. Like, listen, all of us have the ability to either bring honor or shame to our parents in how we live. And the beautiful part about that is, is it's completely independent from how we were raised. Like, there are people in our church who bring honor to their parents, even though their parents don't deserve it at all. But it's because they love the Lord and their lives have been transformed and, and, and out of generations of brokenness that they actually live in a way that if you didn't know them, you would just assume their parents were great when that was actually really, really far from the case. Then here's a third way we can honor our parents, and this one's huge. Um, we need to forgive them. We need to forgive them. And um, I would say that all of us are so deeply shaped by our parents and how we were brought up. And the wounds and pains that parents can cause um, are very, very deep. And, and the truth is, is none of us are perfect and none of us had parents that are perfect and none of us are perfect parents. Like I've said at a men's retreat before, all of us are screwing up our kids in ways we don't even realize yet, right? All of us carry some sort of mommy or daddy wound. And part of honoring them is choosing to recognize that your folks aren't perfect, choosing to forgive them for their shortcomings and to love them rather than becoming embittered for all the things they did or didn't do. And church, here's what I would say. This can only happen when our identity is truly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we understand that we have a heavenly father who loves us, we are a part of his family, we have been adopted into his family, and he is perfect and there for us and present and fills in all of the gaps our earthly parents left. Right? You want to know what your heavenly father thinks about you or what he's like? Read the story of the prodigal son. 
And some of you are like, Cal, it's hard for me to picture a good heavenly father because my parents were far from good or they weren't around at all. Well, here's what I know, that your heavenly father is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. And he always promises that when we draw near to him, he will draw near right back to us. And if we can center ourselves around the reality of our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, it is only then that we will have the power to forgive our parents. And, um, you know, I've met with young couples or young people who are like, my parents were awful. And I need to sit down and I need to tell them how they messed me up and all the ways that they let me down. And I tell people when they say that, that's not your job. Like, your job is to forgive them. Your job is to honor them. And your job is to root yourself in Christ and trust the Lord with that. But your job is not to go upstream and rub your parents' failures in their face. Your job is to forgive them and move towards them with kindness. All right, let's keep going. We're going to change gears here. Look at verse 4. He's now going to focus on parents. He says this, he says, fathers do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Right, so Paul is just established in chapter 5, remember last week, that the father or the husband is the head of the household, so he addresses the father here. And he's talking to both parents, but what I want you to know is, is dads, you don't get to farm out the parenting duties to mom. There is an expectation that both are involved and actually it's the dad that sets the tone for the family. And he says, don't bring your kids up in a way that provokes anger towards you or towards the Lord. But he says, you have a twofold job. You need to discipline and instruct. So let's break that down. Let's talk about discipline first. Here's what that means. It's our job as parents to establish and protect godly values. We need to establish and protect godly values. There's this really cool moment in the book of Joshua where Joshua, remember, he was the warrior uh, leader of Israel who, who wiped out all of the Canaanites, kind of restored the promised land back to Israel. And, and think of, um, you know, think of Braveheart, Mel Gibson. That was the kind of warrior he was, just a, a fierce man's man. And, and then at the end of his life, right before he dies, he gathers Israel together to address them one more time. And here's what he says. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him with sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether it be the God of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I think that's such a beautiful example of this kind of defiance. It's like, listen, we're going to be a family that honors the Lord. We're going to be a family that holds up the authority of God's word, that believe that he is alive and reigning, and we are living under that rule and reign. We exist to know, love, and serve God. So as we as a family and how we work and how we relate to one another and the things that we listen to and the things that we pursue, we are going to center our lives around God. And then we have to protect these values by disciplining our kids when they break the rules. We've got to set firm boundaries and discipline our kids when they break them. Just this week, my third grader, Bo, his favorite thing to do right now is to play basketball with me. We got a little hoop we put in our playroom, and he just wants to play one-on-one -on -one basketball over and over and over again. And I never let him win because it feels really good to beat a third grader in something. So he loves it, wants to do it every day. 
And uh, Tuesday night before bed, as I was tucking him in, he goes, Dad, when you get home from work tomorrow, can we play basketball? I said, sure, Bo, I'd love to. Well, what happened is, is when I got home from work on Wednesday, before I'd gotten home, Bo was being selfish and being a jerk to his little brother, Judah. He was manipulating him. He had Judah in tears. He just was being self-centered. So I sat Bo down and I'm like, hey, Bo, I was really looking forward to playing basketball with you today, but I can't now. And he looked at me shocked, like, how dare you? And I'm like, Bo, I can't reward your selfishness. You forfeited your right to have this special thing with dad because of how you treated your brother. So you need to go make things right with your brother. And I'm really looking forward to playing with you to basketball with you tomorrow. Let's do it then. But I'm not going to reward how you've treated your siblings. That's discipline. Okay, but here's the other one. And this one is massively important. This is instruction. We need to teach our kids the why behind the what. We need to teach our kids the why behind the what. Church, look at me. This is the most important thing I'm going to say all morning. It's this. It's not just enough to give your kids the rule or the command. You have to teach them God's heart behind the rule or the command. Right? Like, let me give you an example. If you tell your kids, hey, you're not allowed to swear. And they look at you and they're like, why not? If you don't have a good, compelling answer for them in that moment, you're not helping your kids. And a good enough answer is not because I said so. If that's all you have, you're actually setting up your kids to fail. You're provoking them to anger. Listen, Christians believe that God is the author of life. And that he's our good shepherd. So when he gives his commands in scripture, in his law, that's him leading us to green pastures and still waters. That he knows what is best for us, how to live a joyful, fruitful, healthy life better than we know ourselves. And listen, if you were with us this fall, we did a Christian worldview series. And what did we do that whole series? We were just holding up a mirror to secular humanism and a Christian worldview. And we're saying, look what secular humanism says. It says, put yourself in the middle, live under your own authority, do things your way. That's what our culture has adopted. Look where it's leading to. Addiction, hopelessness, anxiety, fear, all of the things that are true in our society because we have placed ourselves on the throne in our life. And it said, look at a Christian worldview. Look about when we honor the Lord and place him in the rightful place in our heart. It leads to joy and hope and stability in all seasons of life. We're trying to make the argument that God gives us his law and commands because he wants what's best for us. And your kids need to learn that from you. Your kids need to know that God loves them and is for them. And that's why he's given the commands. And your job is to establish those because you love your kids and want what's best for them. So let's talk about swearing again. Hey, you're not allowed to swear. Why not? Because I need to teach you self-control. And what God shows us in his word is that there are very few things as powerful as words. And if you lo lose your temper and say the wrong thing to the wrong person at the wrong time, it can devastate relationships for years. And I want your life to be full of good and healthy relationships. I want you to be a kind person. So I need to teach you to have self-control, to teach you that you can't say whatever you want whenever you want because I don't want you to hurt people down the road. See the difference? You're teaching them that God loves them and is for them and wants what's best for them. I remember when I was in seventh grade, I'd gotten in trouble at school. Me and my friends, we were being disrespectful. We weren't listening to the teacher and it was so bad the teacher actually called our parents. So I got home. And my mom did the classic, your dad's going to deal with you when you get home. 
So I waited for my dad to get home. He called me into his office, and he's like, Cal, what happened? And I just fell on my sword. I'm like, we were idiots. We were misbehaving. We were disrespectful. I, I deserve whatever's coming for me. Right? I was trying to make it not so bad, so I'm just like, I'm just going to own up. And uh, my dad goes, Cal, you're in seventh grade, and I have you five more years till twelfth grade. And he goes, I understand there's a certain amount of stupid I'm going to have to put up with the next five years. He's like, junior high and high school boys are dumb. And he goes, I'm actually okay with you getting in trouble from time to time. I just don't want you to lie. He goes, if you get in trouble, it will be okay. Just don't ever lie to me. Because if you lie to me, then you've broken trust between you and, and me and your mom. And that's really, really hard to, to, to gain back. And the problem with lying is it's going to chase you down the rest of your life. It will ruin your marriage. It will ruin your relationship between your kids. It will cost you your job. If you establish a pattern of lying, it will destroy you. So he goes, I'm not even going to punish you now because I'm so thankful you told the truth. I want you to understand that you can tell me the truth no matter what. Do you see what he was doing? He was giving me the what, don't lie. But he was giving me the why. It's because he loves me and he wants what's best for me. And he doesn't want me to ruin my life. And here's what I can say as a 35-year-old. I've done ministry long enough to know if you want to destroy everything in your life, just start lying to the people you love. It will ruin you. Right? Even in how I handled this issue with Bo this week, I'm trying to explain, Bo, I'm dealing with your selfishness because selfish people are lonely people and they're miserable people. And I want you to have a life full of friends and joy. And I'm trying to win these battles now because Bo's going to have to trust me with bigger things someday. There's coming a moment where Bo's going to be head over heels for some beautiful girl in his sophomore chemistry class, and he's going to be like, Dad, I want to date her. And I'm going to be like, well, you can't date her because she doesn't love the Lord. And you can't be unequally yoked. And I'm telling you this because I want what's best for you, and I need to establish that I've done that his whole life for him to trust me in the big things. You have to give the why behind the what. You know, it's interesting, a question that I've been asked a lot in, in my time as, as a pastor is, how can I guarantee that my kids grow up to know and walk with the Lord and love the Lord? And um, here's the hard answer, there are no guarantees. There's nothing you can do to guarantee your kids salvation or love for the Lord. But you have to remember, all of us are God's. Like they're God's kids before they're your kids and he loves them more than you do. And we need to walk in faith in those things. But here's the other thing I would say. There are some patterns I've seen in my time of ministry in the kids that have, and listen, I've seen them both. I've seen kids go to youth group every time, all four years, and the second they're out of uh, their parents' house, they never come back to church again, and they're doing their own thing, living for themselves, want nothing to do with the Lord. I, I, I've dealt with that a lot, and I've dealt with kids who are thriving in their faith in their early 20s and are now married and building families um, foundationally on the Lord. I've seen both, and here's what I've seen. Again, there's no guarantees, but for the kids who grew up and had a genuine thing with Jesus for themselves, um, their parents were two things. Their parents were present and they were consistent. They were present and they were consistent. Their children knew that their parents loved them, that they were there for them, that they were a priority. It was easy for them to believe that God loved them and was with them because their parents were. And listen, I don't have junior hires and high schoolers yet, but here's what I know, that when your kids get to that age, they don't want their parents around as much, right? All of a sudden, the parents aren't as cool, and they'd rather hang out with friends. 
And that's normal and that's natural, but that doesn't mean that you don't be present for them anymore. Like, let me get really, really practical. If you aren't deeply engaged with who your high schoolers are running with, their friend group, what music they're listening to, and what their internet history is, if you're not deeply engaged on those levels, you've abandoned your kids. You're not present with them. You're not protecting them and giving them what they need. Music, friends, and internet are the three strongest forces in young people's lives, and you have to be deeply engaged because they're not mature enough to walk these things out with wisdom. Now listen, I grew up in a house, I listened to secular music all the time. I was a big Dave Matthews Band fan. That was like my jam in high school. I'm not out on secular music, but you have to understand, not all secular music's created equal. Do you understand that? Like, there's things out there that are just dark and destructive and will devour your kids if you let them. And I've told parents before, man, if your kid has unaccountable or unaccounted for internet access at all time, what you've done to them, it's the same as building a liquor closet in their room and stocking it full and hoping your kid doesn't become an alcoholic. You're setting them up to fail. You have to be deeply engaged on these things. The second thing they were is consistent. And here's what I mean by consistent. They lived out a genuine love for Jesus. The kids knew that their folks were sincere about their love. They, they set their life on the foundation of, hey, we're going to go to church and we're going to be involved in Christian community and we live and exist to love, serve God and others. And that played out in a myriad of ways. Here's a big one. When the parents sinned, they ask their kids for forgiveness. And listen, I get it. Like, there's nothing more humiliating than having to go to my first grader, Judah, and say, hey, dad treated you unkindly. Will you forgive me? Right? Like, everything in me hates that because it's so humiliating. But listen, if I believe that I'm a sinner saved by grace, then I have to model to my kids that I'm a sinner saved by grace. I have to. They saw in their parents how they loved each other and how they were affectionate for each other and pursued each other, what a Christian marriage should look like. They just lived a genuine life rooted in Christ. And here's the best way I can say it. Their parents gave a compelling endorsement of Christianity to their kids. They're like, man, my folks loved me and I want to be like them and they really love Jesus. So if I'm going to be like them, I've got to get this Jesus thing right. So here's the question I want to ask as we close. It's very, very simple. Does your life give a compelling endorsement of Christianity? I think that's something we need to wrestle with. And let me talk, listen, I know there's a lot of young families represented in this room. And so I want to give you specific homework. And I'm going to call the men out right now and have you lead in this. I want you to have this conversation with your wife before the night's over. I want you to ask the question, in how we relate to each other and in our lives and in how we parent, are we giving a compelling endorsement of Christianity? Are we making our kids want to love Jesus by how they see him transforming our lives? And the reason I'm calling the men out is because if you don't do it, men, your wives will know that you chickened out, all right? So it's out there. It's on you. But listen, even if you don't have kids yet and you want kids someday, it's a good conversation to have. What in our relationship needs to change if we're going to represent Christ better. Maybe you're here and you're like, man, that whole kids thing is, is over for me and now I'm thinking more about grandkids. Well, you can still have a 
massive impact on the next generation. Parents are called to bring their kids up in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. And ultimately what that boils down to is your kids need to see that you have the real thing. So let's do this. Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. And I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for um, this morning. I thank you for this church. God, it's such a blessing to have a church that just loves to open your word and, and to hear what you would say. And God, I'm thankful for a convicting message. Um, all week, your words have weighed heavy on my heart and have been convicting. I pray that they have the same effect on those that are here this morning. We love you. We need you. God, I pray that we would show our children grace as we've been shown grace. I pray that we would show our kids enduring love as you have shown us enduring love. I pray that you would, I pray that we would show our kids a life filled with hope and joy because you are a God of hope and joy. We need your help in this. We love you. Would your spirit be present now even as we close in worship? It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.